The theme for the evening talk is from meditation to realization. Uh, earlier this afternoon, I uh, made a brief reference to um, one of my two uh, old uh, teachers, uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa, just when sitting here and just clipping on. I remembered uh, the way he frequently began uh, his evening talks in uh, Suunmok Monastery, means the monastery of the Garden of Liberation, and he would begin his talks with, Dear brothers and sisters in birth, ageing, pain and death. And, very Buddhist obviously, and uh, people who had listened to him for the first time, oh. <laughs> so I won't start off with that. <laughs> but you get the point. And so sometimes we take a look at our life and we say, well, here I am, I'm born into, the, into this world. The process and movement of my life is going on inexorably from one day uh, to the, the next. And in this passage, in this movement of, of time, it's a process which I, myself, no matter what, have no choice over in its movement. I'm born, I grow up into this world, I experience this, the world has its impact on me, I have it, an impact on it, and the process uh, goes on, and here you and I find ourselves as the current living generation between birth and death. And the movement uh, goes on. And with the movement that goes on, of course, the factor which matters immensely to us, perhaps more than what we really are willing to acknowledge, is the condition and the state of our mind. It's the instrument, it's the vehicle, it's the resource, for better or worse, that we have for being in this world. Mind, I'm referring to feelings, thoughts, moods, uh, conditions, attitudes, outlook, etc. The whole of that which we call the mind under that general label. So here is the mind which we have and part in this passage and journey through uh, existence and all too often and all too frequently it's one of the last areas of real consideration that we actually give to. We can spend a great deal of our time engaged in outer things and in learning and in study and in work and in various kind of roles and how easily we forget. All of that is only possible and accessible through the mind. They're outreaches of the mind, they're extensions of the mind, they come to the mind, they come out of the mind. And yet, uh, rather tragically in this uh, world, uh, east and west, north and south, there are very, very few practical applications of skillful ways to work with the inner life. That which matters most to us, more than the body, is the condition of the mind, and it's that which is so frequently the most neglected of all instruments. 
and therefore sometimes we can feel utterly helpless in the face of circumstances for one reason only, the mind is utterly helpless. And we haven't found the realizations, the discoveries, the insights, the ways and means to live well and clearly and wisely because we don't know how to work with the mind. A huge, huge oversight. It's just a breathtaking oversight. And so tremendous external sophistications, I don't need to uh, go into all of that with you, but so we come back to the condition, the, the state of our uh, inner life. And in just one simple day, one ordinary and relatively outwardly, certainly uneventful uh, kind of day, it serves, hopefully usefully, as a simple kind of backdrop, as a mirror, in fact, in some situations, for actually what's going on inwardly with us. And for all the language that you and I have about uh, choice, which we use uh, much too frivolously, that when it comes to uh, silence and awareness uh, in life, what we see is what arises inside doesn't seem to have a great deal of choice about it. So it would be a remarkable thing if one could walk, for example, into the meditation hall and say, right, for this sitting, forget all the previous ones, which I've been engaged in for the last 25 years, but for this particular sitting, I'll have um, deep samadhi, those who uh, haven't heard this word, never mind, it's not important, and I'll have clarity of mind, strong concentration, focus, a little touch of bliss to keep it warm, and uh, uh, no thought, and a really expansive uh, sense of the divine. And one could come in with such a lovely, sweet thought. Do you think the mind is going to take a scrap of notice? <laughs> so though one may use and like to use with the inner life the language of choice, and we are besotted uh, with, with, with this slave to it in many respects, Yet, that which matters, to repeat the point a little bit, the area of choice, in terms of inner condition, doesn't seem to be so readily available. We are what we are in this moment. We are who we are uh, in this moment. And we can't prescribe the condition of the mind for a moment. Somewhere in all of that, there needs to be something we need to understand and learn about ourselves. In the area of uh, meditation, which is in a way a rather um, fancy word, a kind of short, shorthand word um, for shutting up, keeping still and doing nothing since people wouldn't find that too inviting and inspiring to come for a weekend, we use the word meditation, it sounds so much more attractive. But basically, the other description is more accurate. And in 
setting up being still and doing nothing, that it gives some chance and some uh, opportunity in a way not only to be connected with the breathing, but rather to let the mind breathe as well. And to see what that kind of what the kind of movement is that is actually coming out of us. And it can be worthwhile at the end of a meditation period, uh, at the end of the day, just turning the attention back over for a moment or two and saying, what was actually going on? Not what would I like to be going on, how I would like it to be, but what the actuality was. Because these meditations, insight meditations, do ask, perhaps demand of us, ruthless clarity and ruthless honesty. And so, if in the experience of what was going on inside of us, we were really pissed off with somebody, and the entire sitting period or walking period was totally full of, of that, and absolutely nothing else, can we be very clear that's what was happening, and to really notice that as a pure, simple, unambiguous fact. And sometimes we hear that and we say, well, I know what was going on with me, and I generally know what's going on with myself, but it doesn't seem to make much difference. I don't seem to get any great insights out of it, I don't seem to get any great realizations, I'm feeling whatever, agitated or negative today, and I was feeling like it last week and last month, and it, or feeling anxious and worried or whatever, what will make the difference? What would make a change for us? So when something is going on inwardly, and it's standing out in our meditation, one or two referred to this in the inquiry today, when something is actually going on inside of ourselves and it begins to stand out for us, the tendency is, not always, but the tendency is to support it. We kind of got used to the mind being in this particular way. So we justify it, we feed it, we draw conclusions, I have always been like this. Or we say, well, um, I feel I'm always stuck in this. And so the various views, opinions and surroundings go around it and it helps to keep it going. We don't realize sometimes that when there is difficulty in the inner life, the views and opinions and the justifications for it actually is the wood for the fire. Anything in life which is unsatisfactory in our inner life and we really are identified with it, whatever the situation may be, it may be our past, or our present, or our future, or people that we associate with, whatever it might be, our health, or whatever. In order for the persistence of something to keep going, it needs fuel. It needs something to keep it going. And we are experts of keeping something going. 
even when it's not in our interest, not in the interest of anybody else, but the self, the I, the my, keeps arising about something we feel unrest and dissatisfied about, and we keep supporting it, and justifying it, and upholding it. And when that stops, it doesn't mean to say that immediately the dissatisfaction stops. But, and as the Buddha said many, many times, when we stop putting wood on the fire, it doesn't mean to say that the fire goes straight out, but the flames will start to go out, the wood will still be hot, and it will gradually go cool. And therefore, the heat, the agitation, the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the paranoia, the negativity, the greed, the selfishness, all those things which are unhealthy for human beings to have to live in, lose their potency when we stop feeding it. So it might be, in our willingness to be honest with ourselves, to really attend to our inner life, it might be quite necessary that first, as I say, we are clear about what the issue is, that's the honesty aspect of it, and secondly, we may, may need to be equally clear what way am I feeding it? What way am I putting wood on the fire? And when is this way of putting wood on the fire, feeding and fanning, going to stop? What? Am I genuinely motivated and genuinely committed to stop feeding problems? Maybe, maybe out of that, for us, some realizations will come. Some real insights will come. So when we look at ourselves, at our inner life, which, as I said, matters to us more than anything else in, in, in life, in terms of our own existence, there may genuinely be, and often is, what we might call a genuine problem of life. And what also equally matters is the relationship that we have to it. And sometimes when the relationship to the problem, whatever it might be, uh, we're not feeding it, the problem begins to lose its power, begins to lose its potency, and different kinds of understanding then begin to come. And therefore, as I say, at the end of an ordinary day uh, in our life of sky above, earth below, and here we are, wedged between the two, that in the flow of the day, there may be, not perhaps for everybody, something which is noticeably outstanding, which one is saying to oneself, yes, this is unclear in myself, yes, this is getting perpetuated, it is problematic for me, and what is the relationship to this, which will look at it completely different from my habitual way? What is a way of looking at something totally fresh from my habitual way? And sometimes we can ask ourselves that with 
care and sensitivity and interest, and we may say, well, nothing's coming. Yes, I have a problem, I have an issue, I have an area unresolved. I'm not getting any insight to it, but I'm still feeling the issue, still feeling, still the thoughts are coming uh, through. I'm not getting any fresh angle about it, not getting any fresh insight, which is really changing it, but at least we know that the old way of relating to it isn't working, and we know that because we've got 20, 30, 40, 50 years of proof of it. So the old isn't working, I don't know what the new is, but one thing I do know, the old isn't it, isn't the answer. Because if the old is the answer, I wouldn't have the problem. So sometimes problem, not adopting the same old mode of relating to it, and may not know what the new one is, but there certainly is one. Definitely there is one. And what it is, is the one that makes a difference. So we may have to spend a little, uh, give a little awareness in life to being with the unknown and just being with the bare actuality of something and saying, what is a way of regarding this situation totally differently, which is unfamiliar to me. The familiar is useless. But maybe the unfamiliar might shed fresh light. And therefore, from meditation to realization often means from meditation to the unknown, the unfamiliar, to realization. Awareness and meditation, of course, obviously is not the only uh, vehicle in all, all of this. And sometimes, those of you in the, uh, who move in the dreaded spiritual circles, um, not, not excluding this one, I have to say, um, uh, sometimes we'll have heard, read, listened to, uh, etc., um, both in history and in contemporary periods, so, and as well as the thought which arises, which says, oh God, I wish there was an easier way. This is the, anything which is easier in life, for all of us, has a great appeal. Why, why, why have to go on the hard road of facing one's existence and spending a ho whole day in torture with one's knees, or whatever? Everything else would have to be probably more appealing than that. So sometimes in the spiritual circle, it, something else really has much more attraction and uh, can well understand it and appreciate it. And over the years, uh, last recent times, as well as 10, 20 years or more ago, people, if I may say, write and contact me and say, oh, Christopher, you really ought to come and listen to this person and hear this person and see this uh, person, and there, and there are some uh, delightful people are, uh, around in the, these various kind of roles, and there are also some far less than delightful. And so sometimes, in uh, uh, just coming back from uh, continental Europe in the last uh, few weeks or so, and various visits over there, and so various friends were uh, I'm not going to mention um, any, any names, I'm not that silly, but um, we're mentioning various people, 
Pilni who are offering what is called uh, satsang. Now, those of you who have not heard this word, it's not sitting and sat, sat, being sat down and singing, which some people might think what satsang is, well, it is sometimes, um, but it's in the... Um, but you never thought of that before. And, um, <laughs> um, it's um, more having exposure to teachings and in fact to uh, uh, teachers, and sometimes, and, and beautifully, through communication, and sometimes what's often quite popular has been in the East and in the West, not only in Eastern traditions, but Christian tradition, one sees it quite a lot, is uh, eye contact, um, the touching of hands, etc. And one hears, I get you know, hear quite, quite uh, regularly, uh, lovely and sweet uh, reports of people through, as a result of eye contact or laying of hands, or something happening in the presence of somebody, of something very um, beautiful uh, happening, and it's lovely to see and uh, hear, hear, hear about. And that can produce, it can, what can be generated out of that for some people, is a, a kind of very expansive feeling in which the strength of the self, the narrow, contracted, restricted one, begins to fade away and there's a much more expansive sense of things. And uh, again, as I say, lovely and not to be undermined nor dismissed uh, in any way. But some, no, some of you in this hall know, through your own experience, that sometimes that lovely feeling and lovely expansiveness seems to have a rather short shelf life. Similarly, when people sometimes come on retreats, and not because uh, Kathy is sitting at the front, or Christopher, or one of the other teacher wallers that uh, keep the cushion up here warm through the year, but just through the very process of being in retreat, and being in silence, and engaged in meditation, and hearing teachings, sometimes again, very deep, expansive feelings uh, come, and, and the description of them is very, very similar to what people say when they go to see their guru, or they go to a satsang, or, a, or they uh, have some uplifting event. Very similar kind of description. The expansive feelings there, important as they are, may be limited, no matter how expansive, by the time and place, by the contact with that guru, or that teacher, or by the special circumstances which are there. Realization is of a different order altogether. Realization is, may include that, and hopefully it does include that, but realization has a characteristic with it, it stays steady. It actually stays steady. And it's not always easy to know I'm now talking to people who've done plenty of uh, uh, inner work in their life. It's not always easy to know when, through the process of awareness, uh, clarity, expansiveness, sense of openness that can accommodate the events of the mind, how much of that is just due to being in a supportive environment, and this is one of them, and whether or not there is the element of realization about it. 
If there's some genuine element of realization, that ex- open, expansive, receptive sense isn't going to disappear too easily and too quickly. So, if you listen to this, those of you who are still awake, may, uh, in the process of listening, say, honestly, today this has got nothing to do with me. I, expansive feeling, it's like totally out for lunch, and uh, I'm just dealing with my the restrictions of my wandering thoughts and my knee pains and uh, etc. But that isn't applying to all in the hall. So, in other words, there are situations, it could be in the nature, it could be with a guru, it could be in meditation, it could be in an, an activity or whatever, in which the sense of life begins to open up. It's important. But the sense of life beginning to open up can, as we know, can get lost all too easily and quickly, and in its fading away, once again we're back. Back into what? Back into having to deal with the difficulties of the mind, the problematic mind. Rather than the quest for some special, expansive, spiritual experience, important as they can be, here, in this Dharma teaching, in these kind of practices, we are essentially concerned with what is happening right now, right today. And to be as clear as possible with that, and to see what is it in the course of today that I really need to see and understand well. If it's, as I said, in problematic terms, the issue of today, un- unresolved, then it may require from us just enough sense of expansiveness, just enough awareness that you and I can look at something and say, is there a fresh way? Actually ask ourselves quietly, purposefully, clearly and deliberately, is there a fresh way that I can look at this situation which is different from my normal way of looking at it? And therefore, at times, it's quite necessary and appropriate in our sitting, and in our walking, in our reclining, in our standing, that where we see something that's going on, and it's so habitual, and it's so familiar, and it's so frequent, and it's not getting resolved, habits, patterns, addictions, obsessions, projections, whatever, this is going on yet again. Clearly, there's something I don't understand. Clearly, it's not resolved. Clearly, I'm not, haven't got any insight into what's going on. Because if there was the insight, it was the realization, it was the understanding, the proof of it is it makes the difference. It genuinely makes the difference. And we are here in Dharma teachings, Dharma practice, to look into life so it makes a real difference. And what's the difference? <laughs> Suffering stops the best difference in the whole of existence. The suffering in the mind stops. That first and last in these kind of teachings and these kind of practices. I just came back, I was just in um, Geneva last weekend and um, uh, various uh, purposes of visits, to visit friends, and um, 
One of them, uh, David David, David Arnott, who's uh, secretary for the Burma Peace Foundation, working at the UN. One or two of you may uh, uh, know him or know of him, and doing um, remarkable work in terms of uh, giving support to the uh, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi in the Burma and to the uh, um, NDP, the National Democratic Party of Burma, and helping to facilitate uh, democratic processes. And while, while the friend Isabel was uh, uh, speaking to me of the sister of her employer, she uh, works as a lawyer, and in a lawyer's office, and you may recall that just a couple of months ago, and I mentioned this, I think here, it struck me so uh, strongly, uh, of that um, terrible plane crash, which on a flight um, out of New York to, uh, with Swiss Air to Geneva, and I think the crash took place just off um, uh, Newfoundland or somewhere off the uh, coast in North America. And the report that I heard, this is a suffering to the kind of maximum that human beings sometimes have to uh, deal with at the cost of their life. And a person in Geneva, the sister of the uh, lawyer, went to the funeral and the man, she was a doctor and she was on the aeroplane coming back from uh, New York to Geneva and they knew they were going to crash. It takes 10-12 minutes descent from 30,000 feet, 35,000 feet, 10,000 meters or whatever to the sea. And she picked up she had her mobile phone and she telephoned her husband at about four in the morning in Geneva and he had woke up at that time feeling very uneasy and very worried and he couldn't make it out what it was. And she, he got up and took the dog for a walk to uh, work off this uh, worry before going to Geneva airport to pick her, pick her up. So she left a message on the answering machine saying that the plane was descending and they were going to crash. And the whole of the aeroplane was in darkness. And on the recording, he could hear all the screaming of the passengers. I mean, the, the, the horror and the terror that of such situations, and they knew and sometimes we hear these, you know, terrible uh, uh, stories, and he has the, the cassette at home. And, and people know that in terrible suffering and, and, and suffering of that, of that degree, um, and when there's that sudden loss, and uh, um, having met, and of course over the years of working with people and their suffering on, uh, on retreats, and there's been a sudden death, a sudden bereavement, which has cut off the flow of a, of a life, so unexpectedly, the impact, and this is a common thing, the impact of all of that is so strong in the emotions that it's very hard to remember the happiness. Like the, 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 the tragedy and the severance through the sudden death it makes such an impression 
that one can't remember the happy times, the lovely times, the sweetnesses, and all those things which a loving parent or a loving partner or a loving relative or friend wants to recall naturally enough, but can't because the, 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 the ruthlessness of the death uh, and the manner of, of it, that's what comes up every time the memory comes. It takes years for that to settle in so that one has a more overview of a person's existence. And so it would be so that the poor relatives of all those that died in that uh, uh, terrible uh, air, uh, air crash. And just as here, I just perhaps what reminded me of it was there was one air crash just here uh, a few weeks ago. Two people uh, uh, died. And one of the retreatants had just finished a month retreat and saw the plane crash just a few miles uh, away from here. So here, I mentioned all of this, not easy and realised, but in just in the very process of life and in the movement of our life, we never know from one day to the next week and to the next what will come, either for us or for, ourselves or for others. Life doesn't give that assurance or that guarantee of, of the continuity of, of, our, of our life. And therefore, probably all or most of us have known situations of someone that we knew in life has gone out. Say all of this, that sometimes a little larger view, even the more painful larger view of life, sometimes can help to put our own life and our own so-called dramas of life into a little bit more perspective. You know, the, the self, the I, sometimes in our problems of life, not to underestimate or undermine them too, uh, too much, well, maybe a little bit. And sometimes the self and the I can inflate them. We don't realise what we're doing to ourselves. We don't realise the manner of thinking and viewing and beliefs and attitudes that we have around our issues, or our issues with what's around us. How we're building them up. And sometimes just one story, not an easy one. Most of us in this hall have done plenty of flying, we know what it's like being an aeroplane. Sometimes it just, maybe just shakes us up and say, look, gosh, when I hear that, gosh, it certainly puts things that I've been going on about inside of myself all day into a bit of a perspective. When you hear that, And somehow or other, that little bit of space, that little bit of perspective is so important for, for a clear and wise life, to get our life into perspective. And maybe out of that awareness and perhaps out of that uh, heartfulness, it naturally makes us feel closer to others. Perhaps naturally it contributes to us feeling a bit more respectful to others, a little bit less harsh and judgmental on others. Why? Because as the, as the great teacher of Thailand said, brothers and sisters, we are all brothers and sisters in birth, ageing, pain and death, without exception. And perhaps the process of um, meditation and uh, awareness is somehow to remind us of that, not in a despairing and uh, negative 
way but to touch kind of places in the heart which do generate and bring out of us that, that uh, uh, connectedness and out of the connectedness uh, appreciation and out of the appreciation uh, joy joy to be alive joy to walk on the earth joy to sit joy to walk joy to, to be and and long and ongoing with it the challenge of life to actually look at our existence in finally looking during, during today and hopefully each and every person just bearing in mind the uh, wonderful potential to uh, look afresh at situations which can genuinely live up to this term that the, the Buddha loved so dearly, that, that is enlightenment. Not reducing it to peaceful mind, not reducing it to um, an expansive feeling, but a true acknowledgement of a human being's wonderful potential to really enlighten one's life. That's what it's about. It's really enlightening one's existence to really bring the light of insight and understanding to one's existence that in a very genuine and authentic, authentic way we sense and we know everything is taken care of. Not in terms of passivity and withdrawal and uh, in any of those unsatisfactory ways, but a uh, a way in which there's a genuinely deep sense of freedom in life and an authentic understanding that we can accommodate our existence and it is not a problem to us. That is what is meant and that is what is referred to as an enlightened life. That one, through one's experience, from one day to the next, that one's Life is not a problem to itself. And every moment we spend on the meditation cushion, every moment that we walk mindfully and consciously, every moment that we bring awareness to situations, every moment we actually ask ourselves and we inquire into ourselves, what way can I look afresh at things? whatever it might be that, that we know is necessary, and we actually do that and follow it through, we are making, and making collectively and individually, a genuine contribution to enlightening one's life. And Dharma, and that means teachings, the teachings, the Dharma, is only, only, I say, concerned with it. And you and I know, we know from our awareness and even from our thoughts and from our inner intimations that when there is some difficulty going on with one's life one knows and one hears it can hear as it were that inner voice inside us that this is unnecessary I don't need to be like this I don't need to be unhappy like this caught up like this worried like this agitated like this quite often there's enough information there within, we sense this is unnecessary, it's unhealthy, 
and unhelpful. To make that very, very clear really does contribute to its dissolution. And out of that comes love. Out of that comes the joy. Out of that comes compassion and connection. So, our work on the meditation cushion and on the chair and in the silence of things is not only making, hopefully, a real contribution to one's own life, but also, and equally, to, to others as well. It's not easy, as we know, when others are around us and, it, and their life is full of problems, or whatever, it's not easy to be around somebody who's always complaining. And if you and I, in our working with ourselves, there's less anger and negativity and worry and agitation and all of that that goes on. There's much, much less of that. It's much easier for other people. Oh, lovely. Not putting so much pressure on me anymore. Not complaining so much. Not so cynical. Not so agitated. Not so demanding. So, by working on ourselves, we're actually providing a really nice service for lots of other people. They're much easier to be around. So it's not a navel-gazing club here, and it's not a selfish activity here, here for the welfare, inner, deep inner welfare, and also, equally, for the welfare of others as well. So let's keep our commitment and uh, resolution strong, alive and well, to genuinely know what it is that is called an enlightened life. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings touch deep things in meditation. May all beings live a free and clear life. So let's have a couple of uh, silent minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.